You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the I Dig It Podcast. A podcast where we talk about the student perspective of navigating the world of archaeology and anthropology. I'm your host, Michaela. And I'm your host, Alyssa. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us. Today we have Idan here from Israel. He is doing his bachelor's in archaeology of the Levant in the Near East at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Welcome in. Super cool. Welcome in. And we met Idan through our Discord channel where he's been super active, having a lot of fun chatting in there with other people also. So thank you so much for volunteering to come onto the podcast with us today. Excited to have you. Thank you very much for having me. Which platform did you find the Discord on? Actually, I found it randomly through Tumblr. Ooh, it was Tumblr, yay! <laughs> it was my Tumblr blog. <laughs> yeah, I was. I am following the archaeology and history tags on Tumblr. So randomly, one day just popped up, and I <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I got nothing to lose," so I joined. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I feel like I think a lot of people from the Discord came from Tumblr because that the first post that I did with the um, Discord link had like so many reblogs. So Tumblr is a great way to find. I found there's a lot of archaeologists on Tumblr. It's crazy. I mean, you have to dig into a rabbit hole somewhere when you're not digging into dirt. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the internet and Tumblr is one way to go. Definitely. <laughs> I never got into the Tumblr scene, though. I was always into Reddit, though. You haven't missed anything. <laughs> I didn't go on Tumblr when it was a thing, like when we were in high school and stuff. I actually just started like during my master's degree a couple of years ago because I wanted a place to blog everything. And that one's free. And there's a lot of people already on it where you can like scroll like social media. So it was an easy start. But yeah. So I recently got into Tumblr. Very nice, very nice. Yes. <laughs> All right, so Iran. <laughs> I'm just going to say, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you studying? What's your program like? How would you get here? <laughs> in this world. So it all happened in the... And one night in 1995, <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm not going to go 25 years ago, <laughs> which is, by the way, in about two, in about a week and a half next weekend, I have my birthday. Wow. Happy birthday. Well, happy early birthday. In my family, uh, we all really love history and archaeology. My, fav my father actually wanted to be an archaeologist, but it didn't happen, sadly. But he's still very enthusiastic about it. So he really pushed me to learn history. And thanks to him, I actually find it, found it sorry, very, very fascinating to learn about the, about the past. Uh, more specifically, about wars and stuff like that. Because, you know, Soviet Union, Mother Russia, and stuff like that. <laughs> so war is very, very interesting in our family in general. The way I went to study archaeology specifically was actually very random because I wasn't planning on starting any college degree at all. I, well, I was kind of just getting out of depression, of severe depression. And I didn't really wanted to do anything with my life, but my mom one day 
sat me next to my computer and told me, Idan, you gotta sign up for university and I don't care. <laughs> so this is what I did. And I actually chose criminology as my main uh, bachelor. However, because criminology in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew university is a double degree or how we call it in Hebrew, duhugi. So we have to take two bachelors in order to complete a full bachelor degree because they are, because it's relatively short. I had to choose a second one. And one of the other ones that I could choose was archaeology. So I went with that. Why the archaeology of the Levant? Because we are living in the Levant. <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> Two years ago, in autumn 2018, I started my bachelor, and I'm now currently on my third year. And I would have to, at this point, uh, continue it a little bit longer, longer than three years, uh, because during the second year, I didn't really take any courses, any significant courses. I planned on other things, but then 2020 happened. <laughs> you understand the pain of everybody's existence. <laughs> Okay, so you have one year left of school then. Uh, yeah, roughly. How has it been so far? How's your program been? Have, have you done much archaeology during your program at all, or is it? Well, field school, I tried to go, but due to a medical condition that I'm currently dealing with, it didn't go up out very well. So much so that I had to drop out of field school. And I have to... I have to redo it um, whenever I can. Uh, I hope that this summer I will be able to, but I don't have my hopes high because I need to sort out this medical condition first. However, I do work in the university, in the archaeological institute of the university, as you could say it's a research assistancy, although my actual job is going through bags of dirt from an excavation that was done in 1994 and sift through it and go through everything with a pair of tweezers. I actually have a lot of fun and I do it for two years now. Have you found anything cool in there yet? Well, I've, I actually have, and I don't remember if I've actually uh, shared it on the Discord, but the coolest thing that I found was a full complete bone it was a small one uh, about two and a half centimeters long about an inch uh, but it was from one joint to the other joint so i know it's a full bone of a small rodent so that was very very nice we love dirt yeah <laughs> uh, dirt uh, if you didn't love <laughs> if you didn't love dirt why well what are you doing in archaeology exactly <laughs> yeah that's true exactly i finished today with the bag that this giant Brexia came from. Nice. So, yeah. Congrats. Thank you very much. <laughs> that must have been very fulfilling. <laughs> well, it was actually very, very disappointing because half of the bag was Brexia. What is Brexia for those who don't know? In the university, we have given to lumps of basically almost falsified dirt, ash, and other material that can be broken down in in most cases you can find pieces of flint inside it as well as some fauna and in on rare occasions also uh, flora if it has survived that long sounds very useful 
I used also call it falsified bone stew. <laughs> bone stew. <laughs> I like that name better. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I think the the name the name itself is a, a French one, and I wouldn't be surprised if it is because we are working with a lot of French PhD students and postdoctorate and masters uh, who are doing their whatever in the university. Is the department at your university pretty large? You could say it is. However, it's going to get even bigger because this month they started to renovate the the old building that was last renovated whenever it was built in 1941. Yeah, I mean, the floor is falling apart. <laughs> uh, who needs a floor? <laughs> How many people are in your department, like your year? My Plus. year... Um, I know, hold on, uh, I have my friend who works with me on the side that I work on, which is Amud Cave. I have two of my good friends uh, from my year who are working, one on uh, Tinchemet, which is an ongoing excavation, and another one on Ein Gev, which is also an ongoing excavation. Tinchemet is a Musterian site, and Ein Gev is an Atufian site. Amud Cave is a Musterian site as well. That's awesome. Is it mostly just your university working on those sites, or do you have like an international team there also? Or who who do you find on the site? The 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 site that I am working on it has a combined. Basically, right now the the research that I'm doing is basically project cleanup uh, to clean up the space and try to salvage the bags that haven't been literally evaporated. Uh, throughout the years so on that one is the hebrew university with a combined effort of individual uh, researchers from all around from all around the world uh, whoever wants to join basically can join on that project because it's basically a project that started in the 60s with japan of all people <laughs> and interesting so, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so in the 60s, they, they did an excavation there. And then in the 90s, uh, Professor Hovers did a combined uh, project with, I believe, University of Iowa, but I don't really remember. Either Iowa or Ohio. It depends. Yeah, it is actually written on the bags. Yeah, it's, it's written on the bags, but I don't really remember because I haven't looked at the labels as of late, <laughs> but I can go. I can get back uh, to you on that one on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> That's awesome. For your university, do they put you on a site or do you choose a site? Because it seems like with being an archaeologist, they assign you or you get onto a site where you're able to work instead of just taking classes and not doing any field work. Or like being a part of like a field study or something like that. Is that accurate? Because I know in the U.S. they just are like, oh, you can do field school or field work. You just have to find it on your own. But we're not going to explicitly have it at the university for you guys. Well, here I guess we are very, very lucky. Because from what I understood from people from the U.S. and the rest of the world, 
we actually have a department of archaeology and a full bachelor degree with archaeology with a lot of archaeologists working together and then split it up to whenever wherever they want to go and unlike for example those who are studying biblical archaeology in the united states from what i heard they go to uh, biblical studies or something like that and become an archaeologist of that department here in israel we have archaeologists working as an archaeologist who only later during the second year chooses which actual department or which era more uh, so uh, more accurately it would be um they decide which era they are gonna focus on yeah also we have so many sites i mean yeah i would imagine so <laughs> yeah that must be amazing it's a blessing that that is also a curse especially when it comes to renovating buildings and keeping them up to code especially in jerusalem because the entire city of Jerusalem is considered to be an archaeological site. The whole city. And whenever they want to rebuild something or renovate or just put it up to code because, yeah, <laughs> I mean, or just put it up to code because we are awaiting a huge earthquake that is supposed to happen and just doesn't come for some reason. Every 100 years we have one. The last big one was in 1927. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> coming up. <laughs> yeah, coming up. So we are renovating. But we have a high high chance actually about this, so uh, that the most devastating damage would be either in the West Bank in the Palestinian authorities, because they are not up keeping anything up to code. And some cracks on the even older buildings. And that's it. Yeah, it's kind of similar to how it is in England, where just everywhere you dig, there's something Roman that you need to worry about. So when people try to like make the new um, railway systems and everything, it's a big process of making sure you're not disturbing any of the archaeology or disturbing it properly. <laughs> when we built the tram line in Jerusalem more than a decade ago by now, uh, a very small section right between um, basically uh, the ultra-religious areas of Makor Baruch, uh, where the bazaar and all the market and all of those, and the central bus station, they had an excavation for like half a year because they found their relics and buildings and stuff. But then after they've dug out all everything valuable out of there and kept only the structures, they have covered they have covered it back in dirt and everything and built the rail and the tram lines on top of it oh wow yeah also there is a very there's a space in the armenian quarters in the old city of jerusalem that is a green space open space but nobody everybody refused to build there because they know as soon as they put a truck there and start digging they will find something and then they will have to stop digging, start an excavation, and pull everything out of there. So nobody wants, and nobody wants to pay the bill. <laughs> so they just, so they just keep this uh, green hill with nothing on top of it. As it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the other hand, there's a, there's a serious um, apartment shortage in Jerusalem. However, in the recent four years the mayor and 
everybody involved started to finally build actual buildings in Jerusalem. And they didn't have to take down any buildings or... Oh, they can't. Furthermore, if you have a new building or old building that you want to renovate, you must keep the outer walls intact as, as they are. Then you can do whatever you want on the inside, but the outside must remain as, as it is. This is the main reason why in St. Louis Hospital in Jerusalem, uh, they have still bullet holes on the building from the Six Days War and the War of Independence in 1948, because the law forbids them to touch the outer side. What is, why is that? Why, is that like an aesthetic thing or a cultural thing? Like, why can't you change the outsides of the buildings? Because of heritage. Uh, it is considered to be an archaeological, uh, archaeological remain, and you are not allowed to touch it at all. However, you can... Uh, if it's in a dire state, uh, such as, for example, in uh, in the city of Caesarea, I have no idea how what is the English name of that city, uh, a Roman city. Uh, they have retouched the huge podium that I I think Herod the Great built it, Augustus, the Roman emperor of the time. Uh, they have retouched and did a very beautiful job at the uh, at the stadium, and uh, every time a singer wants to perform, they perform there, and it's huge and a lot of people can sit there and they sit on the actual stairs or the seats or whatever of the ancient Roman po- uh, stadium there. So, but it had to be a little bit retouched because it was completely destroyed when they excavated it uh, originally. I don't remember when. That's kind of cool with the building with all the bullet holes at the hospital because it just like preserves that history. And it's like, ah, this happened. And this this is why you know it happened because look at these holes. (laughs) It's like, oh, look at this stadium. You know this was here and this was used. And then archaeologists came in and... (laughs) And now we can use it again. Yeah. And with that, we'll be back after this break. Ida, what is your, what are your future goals for archaeology? What's the plan? Like after you graduate, do you have any thing you want to be doing? Right now, my undergrads uh, would be with a prehistorical focus. I've moved from biblical to prehistoric when I've decided to do an actual full bachelor degree in archaeology. Before that, I didn't want to do that because I wanted to fo- I wanted to focus on uh, criminology. But 2020 happened, and I've decided to finish a full bachelor degree in archaeology with a focus on prehistory. My shift is well, my focus is on my master's degree to work on archaeozoology and more specifically study the fauna from Amud Cave. There are several approaches we can take here. One is trying to say what animals they are, or sp- more specifically, each bone in from Amud Cave, as shattered and crushed as it may be. If you look under the microscope, you can see some cutting patterns on it. So the thing, I- the the thought is. Try to 
look at all of those patterns and see if there is an actual pattern going on and learn from that uh, how the Neanderthals who sat in that cave, how did they prepare their food? How did they prepare their meat? How they cut it? Did they cut it before or before cooking or after cooking and stuff like that? This is one focus. The other one is focusing on inner ear bones that can be found in the cave. Now, it is very, very interesting because Professor Hovers told me that this is one particular bone, which I forgot the name of, uh, that is found in, in the site, but no other bone of the ear. And only this particular bone. And they still cannot tell why only this bone had survived. Because they are very, very small and fragile. I forget the name of it too, but it's, it helps with the ancient DNA and you just smush it and then it powders and then you get the DNA out of that. The bone? Yeah. The little teeny ear bone. And you have to be like in a, like a whole like lab. You have to be super sanitized. You have to be like in hazmat suits, go through like several airlocks or whatever, and then you go into the room where you have the bone and then you smash it with a hammer. And if there happens to be one particle that is not sanitized or just from somewhere else, like if a window's open or something by accident, or there's a cat hair, it's it's obsolete. You can't use it. Yep. Pretty much. That's wild. That's so cool. Like, I love this study. <laughs> Sadly, ancient DNA doesn't survive that long in the Levant because of the climate. And the site is too old for any chance for ancient DNA. So, they are, there's other reason because there are relatively a lot of bones there. So far, there were recorded 24 different bones of the inner ear, the same bone. And I have found and separated two in the last couple month, months. I found and separated two, two more. Not to mention other bones that I found throughout the years and never separated because I didn't know. But I remember how they look like. And when I've been shown about three or four months ago how those, this bone looks like, and uh, I immediately said, well, I know this bone. It's pretty cool that it's, it's an ear bone. I just assumed it's a tiny little hand bone or whatever from a rodent or something. And apparently it is a bone of a bigger animal. The suspects are birds, but they cannot really tell for sure. I have found <laughs> three human bones. Ooh. Yeah. Three human fingers. Two of them belong to the baby from from the site. Uh, the baby of Amud Cave. And it was. It has been talked about uh, in, in the 90s in the archaeological world of prehistory uh, and another bone of right now an unknown uh, an unknown person and it is currently being worked on and I have no idea who is it and I'm very very curious to know because regardless of who it is it will be very very awesome to see uh, that I've, I've been actually correct. 
Does your project have a website or anything that you guys have been updating or blogging about or anything like that? Or sadly, no, because it was uh, it was updated and. The entire history of the site is updated and regulated by the old-fashioned ways of posting it in magazine in the in peer-reviewed magazines and stuff. Uh, the last one, by the way, was uh, posted several months ago. Uh, if I remember, I might uh, share it, have it somewhere saved. Yeah. So, yeah, but the most. Yeah, the most yeah yeah uh, the most talk is mainly about the lith- the lithics, uh, but also some there were some studies about the fauna, some studies about the human remains, and they want to actually start uh, a study about the botanic remains that can be found, but currently there is no study going on. Uh, the only thing that's going on there is just separating and labeling it. And, and, sorry, <laughs> I was trying not to burp <laughs> and failed. <laughs> anyway. That's okay. <laughs> ah, all right. So, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, right now, the only study that is going on that is basically going through the huge amount of fauna that is found has been found in the site and thinking for the future basically and the project cleanup that I do right now is your project still able to do stuff right now with covid and 2020 and everything it sounds like you're still doing a little bit of lab work which is awesome but have you been able to get into the field at all or has that completely stopped with 2020 <laughs> well at first, it did stop, especially when we had the first lockdown uh, in March, when it all began, but everything stopped. So it wasn't something specific to, archeo- the, to the archaeological re- uh, research. After that, it started in May, returning back. Uh, right now, the, the Institute of Antiquities, or however they are called, um, hold on, let me check out what is their actual name in in uh, English. Uh, Israel Antiquities Authority. Yeah, this is their name. <laughs> so they basically stopped almost all of their uh, work aside from uh, archaeolog- archaeological excavations regarding the I guess the best way to put it is just before putting down infrastructure, they are doing usually a test dig to find to see if there is a significant um, a significant archaeological interest underneath the ground. So they're still doing that, but other than that, they're not really doing anything of significance. Um, the universities and stuff like that, uh, I guess we all remained lucky. Aside from field schools that was were cancelled, um, only like specific very small uh, groups uh, were ma- managed to excavate. 
such as Tinshemet and other uh, places. I know that Tinshemet had their uh, annual excavation done, and also Avel Beit Macha in the northern side of uh, of the country, which is a Bronze and Iron Age city, a biblical one. So they managed to do it. Obviously, you have the regulations. Also in the city, in, in the old city of Jerusalem, there was an excavation in August that sadly I couldn't participate in, even though I wanted because of medical conditions and stuff. Uh, but obviously everything is up to code, wear a mask, because we have a mandatory mask mandate. Whatever I just said, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, we have to have a mask on and keep the distance. And if somebody is sus is suspicious of COVID, everybody is getting into quarantine. All of that good stuff. Um, luckily, when the second ro uh, lockdown rolled around in September, uh, the archaeological research wasn't hindered by it. That being said, because I am reliant on public transport, I couldn't get to work. So I, I was staying at home. But be I a person with a vehicle, I could, in theory, still go to the university and do my peaking, uh, as we call it. Yeah. <laughs> Have all your classes been online? Uh, up until last month, yes. Imani Benza. Yeah, my mom gave me a third of a bread that she made. Oh, it smells so good. <laughs> she uses the ancient ways to make bre bread without yeast. Wow. Yeah, I have no idea how it's called in English. Wait a minute, I have Google Translate. Sourdough. Oh, oh. <laughs> I know sourdough. <laughs> Google Translate to the rescue. Love Google Translate. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> homemade sourdough bread sounds so good right now. Oh, yeah. It's so tasty. But I have to <laughs> hold myself not to eat it because if I start eating it, I don't stop. This is so good. I think I might go buy some sourdough today. That sounds so good. Why buy when you can make your own? Because you need the starter. Yeah, the starter takes like a week to make. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so start with the starter dish. now. Get a loaf of sourdough at the store. And the next week, you have your own oh, sourdough. Compare yes. 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 <laughs> there are a lot of recipes online. Yeah. A lot of people do really cool designs on their bread, too, which has been cool to see, especially with quarantine. People are getting creative with bread. Bread. <laughs> <laughs> because bread. <laughs> bread. Yeah. I think I have on my computer some pictures of uh, what my mom does. Ooh, please send it. We can post it on our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom's sourdough. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're doing a thing. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a thing, though. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and this isn't a podcast about bread. I think we need to start another a bread archaeology podcast. Honestly, like, that would be a cool episode. Bread. Out of all the things about humanity, bread has remained pretty consistent. Yeah. <laughs> like we did have one about uh, ancient cider. Oh, true. Now we need bread. Bread. <laughs> well, you have Egypt for that. They they literally have an actual loaf of bread. And if I remember correctly, researchers from Egypt 
tried to redo a sour bread uh, made out of barley that was oftentimes the salary of the workers on the pyramids. They they've been given a bread, uh, pretty pretty nice loaf of bread, uh, sa uh, sour sourdough barley bread or what however you say it properly in English I don't know. Now <laughs> they tried to redo it the same process. They said that it wasn't that good. That being said, you need to know how to make sour sourdough. So your mom could do it. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, for my mom it took several. Uh, well, it actually didn't take her a lot of attempts because she was watching some Russian tutorials, and apparently the Israeli Israeli flour is way better than the best quality flour in Russia. Wow. Also, a lot of guys in Israel really like to bake bake bread, which is fun. We love bread. Yeah. In this society, mm, so good. Give me those carbs. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we'll be back after this break. So, are you finished with the semester or quarter? Or uh, we have about a month and a half left. Uh, some of the classes return to university, and more specifically, the lab classes, so to speak. In archaeology, is the experimental archaeology. That has been has returned, and pottery and lithics also have returned to university because you need to actually look and touch the things in order to understand what are you talking about. Also, which is not really the good thing, but we do it anyway. We also have one of the classes that is supposed to be online still, but because everybody of the class. We all are actually working together in one capsule, including the professor who teaches us a PhD uh, in that case. We all work together anyway. So we decided that because we are all in the, in the university and we are all working, why not also have a class? So we are having a class. Although we are not supposed to have a, a frontal class yet, but no. We'll keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said which class in one day, so <laughs> they'll never know. Yeah. Also, it's, everything is a legend. <laughs> <laughs> it was Wi-Fi used for worship. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like Professor Ariel. Ariel Sean? No. Ariel Sean was uh, was our prime minister. I mean, Ilan Sharon. <laughs> Professor Ilan Shaon uh, of the Archaeological Department of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem says, Whenever you don't know what was a certain thing used for, it was used for worship. That's, uh, <laughs> that's honestly like the best thing to say. <laughs> Ritual purposes. It's not incorrect. Or it's not incorrect until proven to be incorrect. Yes. <laughs> It was used for worship until proven otherwise. Yes, exactly. Because exactly. our, our ancients were very worshipy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very. Or so we think. 
I mean, I watched one episode of Ancient Aliens, and it was all about worship. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, these things are used for worship for the aliens. It's like, oh, we don't really know the gods, aliens. What's the difference? And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Archaeology 101. Yeah. <laughs> it was a wild episode, and I never want to watch another episode of my life. Yeah. I've been dreaming a lot about aliens lately. I wonder if it's <laughs> prophetic. <laughs> Maybe it's the monologue. Put on the tin hat. Tin foil hat. <laughs> yeah. Please come help us, aliens. I think they it. are watching the 2020 sequel and they are like, dang, what happened there? <laughs> <laughs> now it's the commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> we are the, the comedy of the universe, that's for sure. Well, we should wrap it up. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for being here. You are, I think you're the first person we've had from that region of the world. So that's exciting. I'll be happy to join every time as long as I don't have too many uh, essays oh, yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> for yes. now, I'm not supposed to have so. Let's do a check-in like sometime next year. We'll see how it's going. Let's hope for the best. Yes, let's hope for the best. <laughs> 2021's our year, right? <laughs> yeah, I hope. I mean, on my birthday, they're starting to vaccinate the first round in in, in Israel. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, what a great birthday present from Israel to you. <laughs> yeah. The, for, for now, the first ones to be vaccinated would be the medical personnel and security workers, i.e. the police, the firefighters, and the military. Uh, for now. Uh, and also officials, government officials and others, uh, they will be also the first ones to be vaccinated. And not only because all of them are above the age of 60. Mm. <laughs> I haven't heard much about vaccinations over here yet. They haven't really said when they were going to be doing it. Thank you so much for coming in today or coming online today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, good luck with the rest of your quarter, and we'll keep in touch and check in soon. See how you're doing. Thank you very much. Uh, I would love to have to come again. <laughs> We'd love to have you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Be sure to check out our social medias, and we'll they'll learn more about Iran there. And be sure to join our Discord, where you can join in all their fun conversations, and you won't feel like you're left out when we're talking about Wi-Fi and aliens <laughs> and worship. Yes. And worship. Yes. All right. Link in the description. Bye. Bye. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. <laughs>